Shareable is part of C-Suite Radio. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that this either is or will become your favorite podcast. This is Shareable, the podcast so good, you got to tell someone about it. I'm your host, Jeff Gibbard. In every episode, I talk with someone about the impact that people and technology have had on their career and their lives. So, let's get to it. Welcome back to Shareable. Today, I speak with Amy Brooks. She's a writing coach for established entrepreneurs, and she also has like a bazillion other things that she's interested in and is uh, proficient at speaking about. Let me tell you this. I didn't really know Amy from a hole in the wall. We were introduced through somebody who I have a ton of respect for, who was our guest on episode one, Doug Sandler. He introduced me to Amy and said, Amy's awesome. And because I think Doug's awesome, I basically just thought Amy was probably going to be awesome. So we got on the podcast and I am so glad that we were introduced because we immediately had podcast chemistry. That's a special kind of chemistry. And the episode wound up being totally fantastic. So I hope you listen into this episode because it's incredibly, incredibly, wonderfully shareable. Hello, Shareable fans. It's your host, Jeff Gibbard, and I'm back with another fantastic and exceptionally shareable episode of Shareable. I'm here today with Amy Brooks. Amy, and if I'm saying that correctly, I believe it's Amy. (laughs) Pronounced Amy, A-M-Y, Amy. Good. Um, There are some people, believe it or not, this is going to shock you. There are people listening right now who don't know who you are. I know. I know, right? (laughs) I know. So I'm going to need you to do... All of these uh, these laggards, these these uh, people that have been dragging their heels on getting to know who Amy Brooks is. I want you to tell them who you are and what you do. I would love to do that. So my name is Amy R. Brooks. I had to add the R because there was another Amy Brooks on the scene. And we'll take I care of her. Wrote, <laughs> I wrote some books. And because I wrote the books, I had people ask me for help with writing their books. And a whole new career was born. Even though that's what I was trained in, creative writing and supporting writers. And I did that for 16 years in Baltimore City Public Schools and out here in Howard County for a little bit. But basically, I founded Voice Pen Purpose Consulting and Publishing because there are a lot of people who want to write a book and they don't know where to start. And because they don't know where to start, they don't start. So it's been a really fun process to figure out what people need, help them solve their problems and make their book dreams a reality. I'm writing a book right now, and I can tell you starting was the first hard part. The second hard part is <laughs> continuing. That yeah. is like the other part where you're like, ugh, got to set aside this time and keep keep chipping yes. away at it. Yeah, yeah, definitely the writing routine. I also encourage people to have writing rituals, things that get that animal brain inside of you kind of autopilot ready to flow and go. And so if you have some treats or tricks that you are using, I think it would be great to share because everyone I talk to has different rituals around like the space that they go into, the time of day, what things they kind of surround themselves with to get in the headspace, because it's hard just to start randomly. It's, It's better to have some sort of system in place. Do do you do that? Yeah, I'll tell you the, the, I'm far behind in my writing schedule, but I'd say as far as like process in a book, I'm not doing too bad. I'm at about 
16,000 words at the moment, um, Mm -hmm. which isn't bad. Uh, It's almost Mm -hmm. ebook worthy. Um, (laughs) But I I think the thing that's helping me most and the reason why in this particular endeavor of writing the book I'm more confident is that I have a really strong outline. So it's the sort of thing where I kind of sit down and I look at the outline and I say, okay, which part of this outline is speaking to me today? And if nothing is, then I try to go and find something to – get my wheels turning and inspire me because generally all it really takes is I'm like a boulder rolling down a hill. All it takes is to get that push and get that momentum and then I could write for hours. But for me lately, it's been – there's just so many things going on in my life that I have not made the time for it. It's not that I didn't have the time. It's that I haven't made the time for it and that's been my big challenge. Um, I'm generally a very disciplined person and I have incredible willpower if I do say so myself. Um, (laughs) But I just – I have not been – I have not been disciplined in setting aside the time for it. I appreciate your honesty. A lot of times people say they're too busy without saying it's not a priority. I, I think it helps to acknowledge if it is a priority, it'll get done. If it's not a priority, it won't. And then once you acknowledge that, you can decide if you want to make it a priority. But it's not that you don't have control over your life and your circumstances. A lot of people I've been talking to lately have been recording theirs. Have you considered that? Like when they're doing something else, driving, walking, exercising. They've been dictating it like straight to Google doc. I just learned this from my podcast. I was like, Oh, tell me more. I, you know, it's funny because, um, you know, in, in my other life, that is when I'm not podcasting or, um, anything else I do in my normal life. My my company is a social media and content marketing agency. And one of the awesome processes we've come up with for the non-writers in, in our ranks of clients is that we'll have a copywriter call them while they're on in their commute and just ask them questions and they'll just talk about it. And we record those calls Ooh. and then turn it into content, which is great. But yeah. we, we have the prompt on the other side of someone saying like, hey, tell me about this thing. So I've never actually put that into practice for myself with regard to this <laughs> book. So it's kind of one of those do as I say, not as I do type things, but that, that actually would probably be a smarter way for me to do it because actually to, to go back to how my book idea even came out, I was just advising, my girlfriend was asking me questions about leadership and I was just answering her like, here's how I look at it. Here's my whole thing about leadership mm-hmm. and this. And we were talking for hours about it. And if we had just recorded that, the book probably would be written by now. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. And I was going to ask you if you have a commute. Are you ever in the car? I don't have Never. a commute. I, I, I walk to yeah. work. It's like 15 minutes and I usually just listen to a podcast. Uh, yeah, yeah I'm trying to think. Well, I don't know your life, but that, that's one of those things where I think um, if there are two f- schools of thought, you have to do something different to have a different result. So wake up an hour early or whatever. And, and you're a good problem solver. So this is more for listeners. But the idea who apparently aren't good problem solvers, so I'm going to tell them what to do. <laughs> We're not assuming <laughs> listeners. We love you. We think that you're brilliant and handsome and pretty. Yeah. All the pretty handsome, smart people out there. If you either do something different to get something different or just reassess what you're already doing and integrate it. I know one of my big aha moments with my first book was I have three little boys and they're not quite so little anymore. The youngest is eight, but still like super destructive and disruptive and all those other D words. But anyway, they um, were distracting me while I was writing and I couldn't get it into flow, et cetera. And I was like, what do I do? Cause I was working a full-time job. And I remembered that I had a gym membership that had two hours a day of free childcare. So I, it really motivated me. I, you're not supposed to do this, but I would drop them off and then I would skadoosh over to 
Starbucks and start my timer. And I had like an hour and 50 minutes that I could write. And then I had to run back over. So I got a little exercise running back and forth um, to the childcare and I would pick them up. So they were playing and wrecking the joint over there while I was writing and I was highly motivated because I have a limited time frame. And I knew I wouldn't be able to do it any other time. So for me, it was looking at what I already had in place and working within that construct instead of getting up earlier, because that was not going to happen at yeah. that point. In my- it's interesting you mentioned that because when I think about how I can actually how I'm effective when I put a time constraint on myself, that usually is not a good motivator for me um, because I have a really hard time harnessing my attention. So what I've found always has worked well for me is I need to be in a space where there is literally nothing in front of me. There are no tasks. There are no obligations. I just have a lot of runway and that allows me to kind of work at my own pace to get into my flow and into my momentum. And once I'm in Mm -hmm. it, I can stay in that for just ungodly numbers of hours at a time. Really? Yeah. So one of the kind of the flip side of ADD is intense hyper focus. So Uh it takes a little bit to get there, but once I get there, I can stay, I can stay in a task for 12 to 14 hours, like just (gasps) straight. Um, That's fascinating. Yeah. But it might take me three hours to get there. (laughs) Really? That's a whole day. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to take Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. I've like, I've done that. I've done the sort of thing where like I wake up, I have coffee, I have some breakfast. I kind of, and then like around one o'clock, I'm like, okay, I'm starting and I'll go until like two or 3 a.m. Really? Oh yeah. gosh, this is every time I talk to somebody about their process of creating, it's so different. And I've been really humbled because as a writing coach, I'm always trying to help people and give them strategies. And I'm really starting to see how every single person is so different. Even if it's a tweak, you know, you what you're doing would not work for a lot of people. I poop out at two hours, things start getting molasses slow and kind of garbled i can do a lot of different things over that duration but the hyper focus is fascinating to me i've heard musicians do that too like in the recording studio where they'll like just be in there yeah. day and night yeah and yeah. come out and be like i haven't eaten i haven't gone to the bathroom i'm dehydrated fall in the parking lot pass out yeah, yeah but I, but i wouldn't trade it for the world you know what i mean and and mm-hmm. i think that's also part of the problem with the morning thing i i'm not a morning person by nature i'm actually glad that we're doing this podcast in the afternoon um because i'm not really all that sharp in the morning so it takes me mm-hmm. a little while to get my sharpness i'm much better towards the end of the day but i think part of that is also about the responsibilities of the day that are in front of me versus behind me and I've, I've always found that I work great from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. And if I get up at like 3 a.m., I'm good because I know that I have like three to five hours before the world starts, you know, waking up and bothering me. But if I'm up at seven, I know that I've got, you know, I probably already have emails I got to answer. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, everybody's kind of different in that sense. That's fascinating. Yeah. I love it. So uh, other pieces of context for the listeners um, that you uh, alluded to in our original conversations. Um you, you also are a women's sexpert and a soon-to-be expat in Costa Rica. So uh, are you are you yet in Costa Rica or are you on No. Route? Not yet. June. It's coming soon. And okay. we did go down and scout out some areas. It's kind of fun to fly into a country land and be like, where do we want to live? And then it was like a race from one part of the country to another. My husband and I went down by ourselves and – and <laughs> we were supposed to spend like a day here, a day there. And instead, I, w- I would, I'm very, I don't know if intuitive is the right word for this or impulsive or both, but I'd get to the place and be like, 
no, I don't want to live here. Let's go. And he would leave and run to the next place, which would be like four hours away on roads you can only go seven miles an hour on. And and I'd be like, no, I don't want to live here either. And so we got to our last destination and I was getting a little nervous. And the last place I was like, oh my gosh, it's so beautiful and so cool with the volcano, which apparently is about to erupt. So that's exciting. Yeah, that that's a little <laughs> scary. But I, uh, I, I, uh, I would be silly to to criticize anyone who makes decisions quickly like that because uh, that's how I do it, and I, oh, yeah. I personally. Uh, I appreciate that. It's sort of like when I walk into a store, I, I know that it's going to take me like seven minutes to get everything done there because I know exactly what I came to do. I'm not going to mess around. I go right to it. If it's not what I want, I leave. You know, I'm not like searching for things. Usually I generally have a very good idea in my mind of what I want. And then I'm, I'm very quick to make that decision. I shop like that too. Yeah. Cool. All right. So I want to talk to you about some things. I want to talk to you about, um, you have a a fascinating set of circumstances and career path and different interests and things like that. And and I just want to kind of pick at you and and learn more about the experiences that have shaped you to be this person. So the show is about people and technology. And those are kind of Mm -hmm. the two frames that I generally look through. Um, And I want to ask you some questions about it. But first, I need to get to know how you use technology so I can better understand you know, uh, where you fit in the, the lexicon of guests that we've had and, and better help me shape my understanding of who you are. So, um, when it comes to technology, would you consider yourself an early adopter or a late adopter or somewhere in between? Late. Late adopter. Interesting. Okay. So you're like, you're not on the technology train. You're kind of like, eh, maybe if it, if it sticks around, I'll check it out. I, I checked out Snapchat the other day. I'm not new to the scene at all. And I was like, no, nope, don't like it. And then I've been hanging out with a lot of early tech people. And I thought of you when they were posting about Facebook bots. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And I've I written a couple articles like, about it. Every, yeah, but nobody was saying what it was. And so I'm like, and do I have to be the one to ask? And then someone sent me an article link. And I was like, can't someone just dumb it down and just tell me what it is? And then I had another friend who kind of jumped on and said something about algorithms and tracking um, cookies and information on different people, but they were nerding out. Like all these female entrepreneurs were nerding out about Facebook bots. And I thought of you because oh. I didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. Um, you and your podcast. I was like, Oh, when he asked me, it is very clear. Early, I'm late. Yeah. That's funny because I remember our first conversation. Um, we talked a bit about the technology and you're like, are you sure you want me on? I'm not really like oh, the, the yeah. tech person. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, no, that's actually kind of perfect. Uh, you know, if, if all we had on here were technology, like fluent people, it would, it would cease to kind of make the point that it affects everyone. So, um, on a scale of one to 10, where would you rate yourself in technology usage? So, I mean, uh, you're, you're kind of on the later side of adoption of things, but once you start using it, do you pick things up quickly or not? Um, and zero being like, I have no idea what I'm doing. And 10 being like, I am superwoman with technology. That's a great question. If you'd asked me a year and a half ago, I would have probably put myself low, like five or below, but I'm getting way better. I mean, I, I couldn't, tell you how much I've changed. I feel like I use technology constantly. So I give myself a, I don't want to be braggy, but I feel like an eight because I stick with it now. And then I watch YouTube videos and I talk to people and I get help. 
So, yeah, I've been trying to work my WordPress site, which I didn't think I'd ever be able to do. So, I don't know. I'll I, go with eight. It's so funny. I love asking that question because if you look back at like all of our different guests, like I've got people that are like, I'm such an early adopter. I love technology. And I'm like one to 10. And they're like, I'm like a seven because what they're looking at as a 10 <laughs> is like a whole different thing. Or they might, you know, they might be thinking about what their own version of a 10 would be. And right. uh, it's funny because a, a recent guest uh, shortly before you rated themselves a seven and a half and they're like an early adopter. And like in the tech field. So it's funny that, that you raise yourself at an eight. <laughs> no, that's this is exactly why I ask these questions because I love the comparison. So let me ask you about this. When you go on the internets, uh, it's this place uh, that you can find through a web browser. Um, would you be more likely to do which of the following activities? So we all kind of fall into a bucket of, of doing a certain type of activity more than another, but we all kind of do all of these, but you have a tendency that, that you're probably most comfortable with. So are you more likely to create your own content, curate and share other people's content, comment on other people's content, or just quietly watch? So if you go on Facebook and think like, what's your first thing to do? Is it to create something, to curate somebody else's thing and share it, to comment on somebody else's thing, or just watch? Mm, I do a lot of commenting. I try to to really um, interact and, and create some energy around what other people are doing. But I, I create a lot, like on Canva and um, podcast, two podcasts and blog posts and two websites. So I'm constantly doing that. And then I'm doing it for clients too. So I feel like I'm constantly putting things out there. Cool. So but I do comment a lot too. All right, cool. And then final question about technology. Are you an iPhone or an Android user or something else? <laughs> I'm an iPhone. Okay, cool. I'm waiting for the day that I get somebody on there like, I use a flip phone. I'm going to be like, stop <laughs> no. it. Stop I have it. a home phone. I thought <laughs> that the other day I was like, oh my gosh, what if I was trying to get in touch with someone and they only had a home phone? And then it seems so absurd. I think I laughed to myself. I was like, wouldn't that be funny if there was someone who was like, I don't have a cell phone. Yeah. So like, what do you mean? Is it in, did you drop in the toilet last night? Like, what do you mean? Yeah. In the last week, I've actually seen two things that I, I, never thought I'd see again. I saw a pay phone and I saw somebody with like a flip phone, but not even like a modern flip phone, like a, uh, like a, a circa 2003 flip phone, like not even like one of the advanced models. Wow. Like, yo, you've held on to this for a while. Type My dad phone. has that. Those guys, cause I saw a guy when we were down in Costa Rica had one and he had his number on a sheet of paper taped to the back. And I was like, if you have a flip phone at this point, you need to have your phone number taped to the back just because that like Philly goes with it. And my son, when we got back from Costa Rica, he said to me the other day, he goes, mom, I want to get some CDs to take down to Costa Rica to show the Costa Rican kids what cool American music we have. I said, babe, a lot of the kids had iPhones. Like I think they already know. About like, event. you don't need to take your CDs and your boom box down. Uh, it's everywhere. Yeah. Mom, do we have any mixtapes <laughs> that we could bring down there? God bless him. He was like trying to be cool. And I was like, oh, I don't need to be really uncool. Like just heads up. Heads up. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. So Amy, talk to me a little bit about how you know, you've, you've defined yourself as a late adopter, but at the same time, someone who's fairly fluent in technology now, because you've, you've really kept up with it and you find yourself creating a lot of content in your work and in your own life. So talk to me about how your choice of how to use technology in your life has impacted your career in your life. Like what sort of things do you think were made possible or, uh, change the direction or course of your life as a result of technology? Can you think of any like experiences or technologies that came in that kind of corrected or uh, shifted the course of your life and career? 
Yeah, two, the two big ones are Facebook and social media in general, but Facebook's the one that I use and all of my clients, except for like one or two, um, I've met on Facebook, all of my business associations, all of my collaborators, everything is on Facebook. I've met everybody on there. I wouldn't know any of them. I don't know. I, do I want to be pen pals with someone in South Africa? Like, I don't know that I ever would have known they existed. So that's huge. It's changed my whole life. And then um, the technology around self-publishing has really changed the game, not for myself, but for everyone. And the idea of um, formatting your own book and working with, I, I've worked with uh, graphic designers I've never met and collaborated on projects. So I think those two things, um, self-publishing online and then um, Facebook, for sure, those two. Awesome. And and as far as your work in helping people create books, do you think those sort of things, that that career path would have either not happened or been tremendously more difficult had you not chosen to adopt Facebook or um, not had the ability to go through kind of a self-publishing channel? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there, it just wouldn't have happened at all. I mean, I, it, I was talking to a... Um, an editor, I think was she a Penguin? I don't know. She was at some traditional publishing house. And she said that they still use paper. They print out the whole book uh, and they use highlighters and they put a rubber band around it and they carry it around. And I was like, I don't understand. What do you mean? She's like, well, that's how we do our edits. I was like, what do you mean? I don't understand. <laughs> but why? Because, <laughs> I know, I, that is what I was thinking. She goes, well, we have to carry it to one person or the other. I'm like, again, like I don't. I don't understand the words you're saying. She's in her 20s or early 30s. I don't know. She's younger than I am. And so the idea that someone younger than I was was justifying this, I was like baffled. But I, I know that you and I talked about Google Docs before, which I had used in an educational capacity. And my, my birth children and my students got really savvy in the last five years with using it. So pretty much any kid in school now knows how that works. And I can see it getting more and more integrated into adult sphere. And you can use it so many different ways, but it has really catapulted how I interact with clients and their work and the edits and then inviting other people in to edit and add their comments onto what we have done. You can't replicate that in email. So, so that's another big one, I think, that I don't understand why like the publishing industry isn't do it's very confusing. I can't talk about it anymore. <laughs> um, do you find, I mean, having been in education and having three kids and using technology in, in what you do professionally, how would you, how are you, um, how would you say that technology has impacted, um, your relationship with your children or with your students over that time? Like, is that something you felt was uh, a connector between those you as generations or something that puts some distance between you? I mean, you mentioned Snapchat before, and that's something that, you know, uh, past a certain age, I feel like there's a, a lot of us that are kind of grasping to try and figure out why this matters, or, or I guess why this is so popular. Um, in the same way, when you look at your usage of technology and your, your um, willingness to adapt it and uh, adapt to it, and you think about, you know, you as a teacher and you as a parent, how does technology play into that for you? Well, I have a lot of boundaries. <laughs> and as you're asking that, I was thinking about how many rules I had. I Just to go back, when I first started teaching, I remember my husband bought me my first cell phone back in 2000, 
and one because my classroom did not in Baltimore City did not have a working intercom system. So if I needed to contact the main office for an emergency, let's say, I would dial the school phone number from my cellular device and let them know, you know, there's a fight in my room or somebody's uh, having an asthma attack and they would send a nurse. Anyway, um, and at that time, I was very um, open to my students calling me, but I had a lot of rules around it. So I gave every student for my 16 years of teaching my cell phone number. And I had one blip where it was misused and they threatened to blow my car. And I figured out who it was. And then he became one of my favorite students of all time. Once we identified the threat that he made. But um, anyway, the idea that I could use technology. And at that point, you know, we were moving away from beepers and stuff. So that was a big deal. And they, I trained them how to call me and what to say and introduce themselves and ask a question. And then to say, thank you so much for your help, Ms. Brooks have a good night and hang up. And I don't know if people do as much, um, what do we call it? Like decorum or training about like etiquette manners. around. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. Yeah. But around the new technology, like there just aren't really any limits. So then I had, when Facebook came out, there were kids who were like, Hey, Ms. Brooks, will you be my friend on Facebook? Or they'd send me Facebook requests. So I had a very standard rule with everybody that I will not be Facebook friends with you. Like maybe when you graduate, but not until then and probably not after either. Although I am Facebook friends with some of them now. Um, but anyway, I don't know if other teachers were saying that. And it does confuse me now because there is, um, there's somebody, I won't say who it is. She's a young teacher and she has a big following on Instagram or Facebook, Instagram, I think. And I'm watching it. She's like videotaping herself in her classroom and she's taping her students. And it's very confusing to me because I had some students because I didn't know how Instagram worked uh, a few years ago. And they, I don't know what the word is. They like didn't friend me, but whatever. We got like connected, followed you. me. Yeah. They, or they followed me and I didn't know who they were. And it's like so-and-so wants to follow you. And all of my stuff is is public now because of my business. And I was kind of integrating that. And the stuff they were posting, I was like, I can't unsee this. And I always say like, you are my scholars. And I think the same thing with my birth children at home. Um, we have a lot of rules around screen time and no one has um, a device more um, advanced than an iPod from 2009, I think. I don't know. It was, it's really old. It's like the first iPod that ever came out. So You're like mom is an elite adopter. You're going to be uh, a late adopter. Yeah. And so for me, and you know, there are lots of philosophies around this, but for me, my son went out last night and I was like, what are you going to do after the play? He's 13. He went to the middle school play. And I was like, what are you, how are you going to get home? He said, well, my friend has a phone, so I'll call you from that. And I said, great. And that's been our like hack, our workaround of not having devices and not having, as you mentioned earlier, nearly as many pay phones. So I can't like give them a quarter. And I don't even think it's a quarter anymore and have them call me. Um, so yeah, there are pros and cons. Cause like you're saying there, it's so prevalent. And then what do you do if you're not in the mix? Yeah, that's, so. that's, it's, it's a big challenge for parents these days. I'm sure is like trying to figure out what level of technology is okay and where do you draw your boundaries because it's also a social thing for them. You know, They have ways that they're going to be interacting yeah. with their peer group that if all of the other parents do a particular thing, you're kind of 
potentially putting your kid in a, a tough position. So it's definitely an interesting uh, question. To and I, I don't have any kids yet, but it's going to get even worse by the time that my kids are that age because you're going to be like, Mom, why can't I play in the holodeck? Yeah. <laughs> because you'll warp your brain. Yeah, your brain like goes. you're too young for these 3D images and augmented reality. Yeah, they do get annoyed with me, though, because instead of me, we just got a house phone again, because that's the thing where you get rid of the house phone and then we both leave with our cell phones, but they're old enough to stay home. We have no way of communicating with them. And so we were trying to figure out like a way, like really first world problems, but we were trying to figure out a way for them to like call us from an iPad. Then we had to give them the password. And so anyway, we got a home phone and they wrote down like on a piece of paper, some key phone numbers so they could call their grandmother or they could call their cousin. And then if they want to go, this is so ridiculous that I'm articulating this. If they want to go to a friend's house, I make them walk to the friend's house, sometimes five blocks away and ask the friend if they want to play. And they're like, no one does this anymore. Like everyone just texts like, hey, do you want to meet up at whatever place? And I'm like, I don't care. So we say we're old school a lot in the house. That, I don't that, know. We watch that it. is definitely old school. You are <laughs> you are definitely yeah. bringing old school back. I know, I know. Well, so you're definitely an interesting technology case, but it's very clear that you have very strong feelings about interpersonal communications and manners and decorum and all of those sort of things. Talk to me a little bit about um, you know, some of those influences in your life, the people influences that help to shape your perspective and, and, um, and help to kind of set your life and your career on the right path. That's a great question. I'm so excited to give a shout out to Heather Franz Kelly. She's a teacher that I worked with in Howard County, and she was on a mission with Tech Ed to get all teachers up to date. And there's so much resistance among adults, especially if you have systems that work for you or you've been doing the same thing for decades. And I know for me, there were so many messages that she said to me early on that I kind of um, lean on when I'm starting to feel stress things like um relax and wait a second it's loading like because I would do something like why is it working she's like relax it's loading another thing was um I like being around people who are problem solvers so my brother is like that with tactile things he's an engineer and then Heather was like that or is like that with technology and the fact that if something doesn't work right like I set up my own podcast all by myself and it was infuriating and it took me a week and I couldn't figure out why things weren't loading and like what platform and they're just, it's a whole new language. And I didn't have, usually I hire someone or I have someone there to support and I just didn't have that. It wasn't working out. And so I was determined to do it on my own. And there were times when things were glitchy with like um, audacity and things like that. And I just had to freaking restart the computer and Heather taught me that. And yesterday I couldn't do a Facebook live in someone else's Facebook group. And she's like, I've never had this problem before. And I'm like, oh man, is it me? And then I had that voice in my head go, shut down your iPhone, start over. And I did, and it worked. But those, those kind of messaging uh, messages that I got from Heather Franz Kelly in an educational space were really key. And then seeing other people who could be social and work in person and not be like the tech folks I knew in, in college who were super cerebral and not necessarily social, seeing, um, seeing them really rock out their businesses online and be really engaging. And then also super tech savvy introduced a concept of how those um, 
parts of your brain can merge and how the skill sets can overlap. You strike me as a very thoughtful person. Um, <laughs> you do, uh, because like you, you, you're not like, you don't do these things in kind of a reactionary way and you're very open-minded in, in taking mentorship and, um, you know, guidance from other people and, and being open to trying technology and even getting frustrated with it and getting back up. So, you know, I think it, it would be, um, a safe assumption to say that you don't lead and a non, or how do I say this? You lead a self-examined life, I think would be mm. sort of a, a way of saying it more naturally. So if you look at your life and your career and, and the way things have, um, have, have played out, what, what's something that you wish that you had learned earlier in your career? Like a lesson that you now look at and you're like, oh, well, duh. And that's so helpful. But had you learned it maybe in your twenties or, uh, you know, early thirties or whatever would have made a huge impact for you. What would one of those lessons be? It just in regards to technology specifically, because that's no, what I'm really trying just, to think of. It really in regards okay. to anything. So it doesn't have to be technology or, or even people, but I'm just thinking more like, um, you know, I've gotten so many different answers to this question, but generally it's about a thing that was going on in your head. It was a lesson that you had to learn through failure or through constant failure or through um, or, or just like a, a breakthrough success out of something. But it was a lesson that you're, it now it seems so clear and so simple. But then it was something that you just continually struggled with. You know, I don't mean to sound contrarian, but I, I feel really good about most of I, I'm one of the you know, how we're talking about like being impulsive, like. I just changed my major to African-American studies because I really was interested. And then I was like, I want to study abroad. So I went to Ghana and West Africa. And and I remember people just being like, why are you doing that? And what's happening? And I really, really like doing what I'm doing. And if I don't like it, it almost bothers me to I can't I can't function like the discontentment overwhelms me. I did stay in teaching a little bit longer than I knew I should, but I wasn't ready to figure out what was next, or I was trying to make, you know, the one thing that I think is hard for, for people, and I'll just talk about myself, but is when you're within the construct of like a religion or a career or a relationship, and you've invested so much time and you really know it and you have connections, you have positive associations, you're in your zone of intelligence or even excellence, you're not in your zone of genius, you're not completely aligned with your purpose, but things are good. And like, who are you to be ungrateful? I think that's the part that I'm constantly trying to assess, like, am I um, pushing myself hard enough to stretch and grow? Am I rushing things? Because maybe in the part of stretching and growing is, is really getting good at what you're doing or really examining all the options. So before I left my religion, I really worked in every, any, any and every way possible to make it work. And it didn't like really work for me. Um, and then with my teaching career, I mean, I just pursued so many different avenues to find that next level, like where I could get close to my genius from, you know, getting my administration degree, going back to school to um, get my doctorate. But every time I, I did that and it wasn't working, it kind of woke me up that that was not the path I was going to be on. And so I think I looking back on it now, like I realize how important it is to to have that struggle and to really embrace it. And I'm glad that I did that. I'm still struggling now in the sense that um, the learning and growing doesn't always feel great. Sometimes it feels like I'm dumb and I can't figure this out. And then 
you remember, oh, wait, I felt this way before. And then I did figure it out. And then I went on to something else that made me feel dumb. Like, this is all part of learning and growing. And um, I don't know if that really answers your question. Yeah. That's the only thing that came to mind. Yeah. I mean, it it sounds like you've been pretty happy with the way things have gone. You don't have a lot of regrets about things, but that it's a, it's about constantly reminding yourself that when you yeah. do feel dumb, it's part of the process and that's okay. But, you know, not so much about you having any regrets about anything, but just in terms of the lesson that you would say you wished you learned earlier, it's, it sounds to me more like you learned it over time and you're happy with the way that that, that came to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So you said something that I thought was really interesting, which was finding your genius. I think that's a really interesting way of putting it, Um, like kind of finding what's that thing that you're really passionate about, that you're really interested in, that you're really good at, or that you have the capacity to be really good at. Um, For anybody that would be listening right now and is maybe at a crossroad or maybe trying to think about like what's next, um, how do I discover what I'm passionate about or whatever it might be, what's one thing that you think someone might be able to go do and go as soon as they're done listening to this, go and do today that could impact their lives positively. It could be about what you just said about discovering their genius. It could be about, uh, in terms of something that you learned about dealing with people or a way that you relate to technology. What's one kind of piece of advice you would impart to somebody, uh, who's listening. That's an easy question. I I like that. That one makes me feel better. (laughs) I can give a straightforward answer that it's just about baby steps in the direction of something that makes you happy. So I wasn't sure. I never thought I would be a book coach. I didn't even know that was a thing. (laughs) I didn't think about writing a book. I was very much focused on supporting my students uh, enjoy literature and writing and things like that. But at some point, I got really interested in nutrition and food and the power of meditation. And then as we talked about briefly, you know, sexual equality and how there are a lot of women out there who don't know their bodies. And there are all these things that were kind of influencing me through my whole life, things that would come up in conversation uh, when you're having fun or or just the foods that I was choosing to eat. And then people would want to talk about why you're choosing to eat that. So I was having those conversations a lot. And what ended up happening was I heard about this program and I, and I went through it and I got my certification in health coaching. And so I'm thinking like, this is great. This is going to be my new career. And I was taking steps in that direction. And someone said to me, you need to write a book and you're supposed to be writing, go right, right now. And when I heard that it resonated and instead of talking myself out of it, I just took a step in that direction. And I ended up writing a book about everything beyond food and fitness because I felt like the health industry tackled that a lot. And in that moment, it opened me up to this brand new audience where people were really hungry to talk about um, a spiritual connection by themselves, a connection with community, stronger relationships. Again, that's sexual equality. That chapter is called Own Your O. (laughs) And then meditation and stress and all these things that really impact our, our happiness and our wellness. And the idea that 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 health coaching or that certification or even that book would be a mistake or a wrong direction would be totally false. Like I could not have gotten where I am today without doing that. So my advice would be if there's one thing that like for me, all my friends would ask me, are we allowed to talk about sex on this? Are we? Yeah. We can talk about anything. Okay. Okay. Well, when my girlfriends or folks, would get drunk around me they'd be like asking me sex questions and I didn't care and I'd answer them like like how do I do this or what should we do and like uh what is the name Dr. Ruth like back in the day oh yeah yeah I remember that 
I'm a younger version of Dr. Ruth. And so, and then the guys would come, like, when we've all sobered up, like, later, and they'd be like, hey, I heard you had a conversation with my wife. And And I realized that this is something that people wanted to talk about. So I would say to anybody listening, if you have that thing that kind of lights you up and people come to you, or it's fun, or it's engaging, or you get that super hyper focus, and you pursue it just a little bit more just to kind of see where it goes. And for me, it was broadening that conversation in the form of a book. And then helping other people who wanted to write a book and that health coaching helped me see how I could work with adults and how people would pay me money to work with them one-on-one, which as a teacher, that didn't happen. I got, you know, a standard contractual pay every two weeks. So yeah, definitely that step. And and the quote about the genius, your zone of genius, that comes from um, Gay Hendricks' Big Leap. And I'm all for the big leap, but I think a lot of what he says and what I ascribe to is in order to get to the place where you're ready to make the leap, you have to take a lot of steps in the direction that can prepare you for the leap. Because just having a lofty ideal and leaping is kind of a disaster because you don't have the tools you need. You don't have the parachute packed. I, I do really think it's important to take those steps. So I dig the baby steps idea. I uh, I wrote a post called How to Find Your True Love and Die Happy. And it was talking, oh. it was talking about your career sort of in the paradigm of a relationship where like nice. your early jobs are first dates and you think you know what you really love, but you go after it and then you realize that it wasn't exactly right. So you take from that and you go to the next thing. And, and I refer to looking for that voice inside of you that sounds like a giggle. Like it's, it's that yes. childlike enthusiasm and excitement for whatever it is that you're all about. And, and I like the way that you phrased it where people kind of are drawn to you when you talk about it or they come to you and ask you questions because that's just something that you shine when you talk about. So I think that's a really, uh, it, it's a really good parallel to, uh, to, I, I think your perspective is spot on. Yay. That's cool. My, one of my clients wrote pursuing my wonderful and she crossed out Mr. Wonderful and wrote my, and the whole book is talking about dating and career and like how we have to go through those steps and it's okay to feel awkward when you're starting is, did you talk about that in your blog post? Like how it can feel a little clunky at first, just like falling in love and then you get more comfortable and then you see all sides. I actually didn't talk about that, but that is spot on. Like in the beginning, like it, but at the beginning you also kind of think, you know, but you don't, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like that. So yeah, I, I, I think we could go down a lot of paths with this. In fact, um, on, I think it was episode 12, I had Dr. Timory Schmidt on the show and she's a uh, sexologist, a PhD in human sexuality and sex education. She has a a podcast called sex with Timory. It's awesome. I think we should do, we should get a podcast with the three of us on there. Um, and we'll try to, (laughs) we will try our hardest to avoid any jokes with, uh, or headlines with the word threesome in it. Um, because obvious, it's too obvious. We need to dig deeper than that. But, um, it, you know, super interesting, uh, person, I think you would really like her. So even if we don't get on a show together, I'd love to connect you to, um, but talking about, um, you know, sexuality and dating, I think those things, relationships, are um, not a very far leap from having conversations about sales, marketing, networking, relationships. They're they're yes. really not far off, and a lot of the same principles appro- uh, apply. We get to practice the same skill set on so many different platforms, and we get to feel the feelings in so many different arenas. I don't think that's a coincidence at yeah, all. I completely agree. Well. Yeah. 
Um, I want to take you through some rapid fire questions because we're, uh, you know, we're running towards the end of our time here together, but you've been so far an incredible guest and I'm, I'm dying to have you back on with Timory. Uh, but let me take you through some rapid fires and then I'm going to give you a little bit of time to talk about yourself and what you're up to and then we'll get you out of here and, uh, we'll have you back again. So rapid fire, are you ready? I'm ready. Do you have your phone right next to you or anywhere nearby? I do. Okay. What are the apps that are in your dock? That is the bottom of your phone near your thumb. Uh, phone, Safari, mail, and messages. Okay. It was standard. I didn't change it. It is standard. Uh, what's the one application that uh, it's mobile, desktop, or or um, web that you just can't live without because it's so useful? Uh, like Facebook? Uh, any application. I, I was thinking more like something that's a utility, something that you use to accomplish a task. And I guess Facebook could qualify for that. So you could I use do. Facebook. My thought would be it would be Google Docs for you, if I had to guess. I, it is. Well, it's funny because that was going to be my second one. I don't use it enough or I don't use it much. And I'll tell you why. I real I downloaded it and I realized I could edit my client's books while I was at my kids' baseball games. And he's at the time was like six or seven. So they're not that good. Like there's a lot of pitching and no one's hitting. And, and I was, and I was that mom who was looking at my phone. I wanted to be like, I'm not playing candy crush. I'm editing a book, but no one asked me. They were just silently judging me from afar. So I've been trying not to get on that. And, and Facebook is one way for me to stay on top of, I have a lot of Facebook groups and I have a lot of business pages for myself and my clients. And so I feel like I can be responsive and maybe I shouldn't, but I do really want everybody to kind of be seen, heard and loved. I might need to address that actually. Yeah. Yeah. We should probably talk <laughs> about that offline. Um, okay. I know the answer that you're going to give for this, but if every social media site were to go away tomorrow, except mm-hmm. one, and I gave you the ability to choose the one that lived on forever, what would it be? I'm guessing you're going to say Facebook. Yeah, and I don't use it the way I used to use it because people used to make fun of like, Amy's posting pictures all the time. I don't do that anymore. I use it for business. I use it for connecting. So, yeah. And other people use LinkedIn and stuff like that for that, but I don't know. Yeah, I kind of use them all for it. I use everything for both personal and professional. Mm -hmm. Everything's for everything. So this is going to be a fascinating one given the work that you do. But what's one book that every business person should read? And uh, you're not allowed to say your own book. And it doesn't have to be a business book. But what's one book that every business person should read? That's such a great question. Um, The great... Is it The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks? Actually, it was very transformative for me, and I've used the language so much. So I know I already mentioned it once, which is a shame. I should think of another book. But but the premise of that book is that you can find some level of satisfaction in your zone of intelligence or excellence, um, but you're not going to ever fully fulfill your potential and have that feeling of euphoric connection until you step into your zone of genius. And that's such an interesting word to try to own. So I'm going to let him describe it so people can check out The Big Leap. I think Gay Hendricks is a cool guy and he and his wife do a lot of really important work together too. Cool. Final rapid fire question. If you could have any superpower, what would it be? No question. Flying. And my, can I just tell you my 11 year old said bottle flipping? That would be his superpower. Oh, I was outraged. Yeah, I, I would like, be outraged too. I'd be like, that's a fad. You knock it off. You stop I that. Know. You go to your room and read I comics. Never... <laughs> oh, gosh. I was like, so what does that mean? Because I would land it every single time. I'd be world famous. I'm like, boo. I boo your dreams. So that is a boo. Yeah, so that's, yeah, that's 
Uh, yeah, flight is uh, it's kind of a standard answer, but it, it tells you a lot about the person. You like the feeling of freedom to go anywhere yes. you want, uh, as uh, you know, as well as kind of like meditation and peacefulness. Oh, I love that. I didn't think that all the way through. I just oh, knew yeah, that I wanted yeah. to jump up in here and go. Well, I asked the question because every single thing that somebody says, I deconstruct and it tells me a lot about who they are. <laughs> no pressure. I'm glad you said that at the end of our talk. Yeah, exactly. I tell you afterwards, I wouldn't want you to think about it too much. I want you to say it first thing comes to your mind. So this is the point in the show where I say, Amy, thank you for coming on the show. I really appreciate that you set aside the time. It has been an absolute effing blast. And uh, I want to give you this time right now to talk about anything that you want. Specifically, I'd like you to promote yourself and tell people how they can get in touch with you, how they can learn more about you, how they can send you money through UPS, FedEx, or the mail. (laughs) Whatever it is that you want to talk about, now is your time to promote yourself and let people know why you're wonderful. Oh, that's awesome. So my name is Amy R. Brooks, and I help established entrepreneurs who already know their message and they are clear on what they're supposed to be doing in this path of life. And they're ready to write a book and they don't really know where to start or they might need, like you were saying, support as they continue. So when people get stuck, I unstick them when they need um, ideas on how to develop the scope and organization of their book. I'm the one that's going to I feel intuitively guide them to figure out what their readers want. So I'm a huge fan of being an everywhere entrepreneur. That's a group that I'm developing. I probably shouldn't have said yet because I haven't done it. But the idea of being everywhere and um, really meeting your clients where they are. So you can find out more about me and what I do at voicepenpurpose.com. I am moving to Costa Rica. I'm planning on having monthly writing retreats. So if you're the kind of person who cannot do the same old thing in the same old environment, I want you to come down. And let me work my magic in a beautiful exotic locale, assuming that a volcano does not erupt. It will be gorgeous. And I'm also going to do some uh, one-on-one intensives. So if people aren't into the group thing, they can come down for a few days and we can birth your book in Costa Rica. That sounds phenomenal. Can I see my podcast? Hell yeah. I have two. So I wrote a book with um, uh, Jennifer Jiva and it's called... Uh, spiritual detox for divas but we have a podcast where we have guests come on and we talk about all things i want to say woo woo just to cut to the chase but like anything spirituality based and we're very irreverent and you know spirituality of orgasms has come up in more than one podcast but that is called spiritual detox podcast and then i have my voice pen purpose podcast which i love 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 because i have on People who are either wannabe authors and I do live coaching calls. So if any of the listeners out there think you would want to write a book, you don't know where to start and you don't mind doing a live coaching call, uh, I will help you deconstruct your ideas and figure out the next steps. And then I also interview published authors. So I don't know, Jeff, if we should have you on as someone who's writing your book and talk about that or wait till you're published and then talk about it in hindsight. Can and it then be lastly, both? You can, do that. you can do that multiple times. I've heard I'm and a good then, guest on a podcast. That's what I've been told. You sound like you'd be groovy. And I also, just so people know, I have industry experts who um, help writers become authors. So all those questions you've ever wanted to know, I just like reach out to those folks and say, can I come on and ask you all the questions that my clients are always feeling insecure about, about editing or graphic designer, publishing, traditional versus self and it's really fun. Cool. Well, I would be delighted 
to be your guest. Uh, yeah, oh, we'll what? we'll talk all about it. I, let's make each other even bigger rock stars than we feel like we are in our own minds. <laughs> I know. Sounds good. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming on the show. You have been fantastic. And for all of you listening, you know that there is something that is absolutely true about this episode. My guess is that you're thinking the same thing as me. This episode is shareable. That was so much fun. I can't even believe the guests that we get. I mean, can you believe the guests that we get? I can, actually. I schedule them. Awesome. Well done. Well, this episode for me was an absolute blast, and I hope everyone listening really enjoyed it. But now that we're in this fun little outro, what should people do next? Hmm. I think they should check us out on iTunes. Definitely go check us out on iTunes. And when you get there, subscribe, drop us a review, and then what's that one last thing we want them to do? I don't know. Share the episode. Oh, that's right. That's right. It's in the name. So please share this episode. Tell everyone you know. And we'll see you on the next episode of Shareable. Bye.